Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of the Little Egypt Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Todd Hefferman. Uh, (laughs) And with me today, as always, is uh, sports writer Bucky Dent and sports editor Les Winkler. So uh, another big weekend, guys, with a football. Uh, Basketball is starting next Tuesday. They're going to be real games. Um, There are uh, an exhibition game uh, Friday night for the SIU women. They're playing an inter-squad scrimmage because they are not playing an exhibition game until late December, uh, which we'll get to later. A little scheduling quirk for the Saluki women. But uh, Saluki football with a big win. Saluki basketball with a big win. Um, And I say a big win because not every team in the Valley was able to win its exhibition game. Illinois State trailed by 15, uh, came back to win. Uh, Southern Indiana gave Evansville all it could handle. It took them to overtime, uh, lost by three, and Loyola got beat by Indianapolis <laughs> yesterday in Chicago. So that was a little bit surprising. Um, it is not the first exhibition win, or exhibition win, to my knowledge, that Indianapolis has pulled off. I want to say they beat Tennessee one year in an exhibition, <laughs> so they have been known to do that. Yeah, they're a good Division II program. Uh, Loyola actually had started Tate Hall, who played uh, at Indianapolis uh, for two years for transferring over. He sat out last year, supposed to be one of their big players. He went one of seven from the field. uh, So hopefully the Ramblers have shaken that all out. Hopefully we realize uh, their their defense was all by Brian Mullins. (laughs) So now that Brian's with us, maybe our defense will improve and theirs will go to crap. So... uh, uh, SIU football at Indiana State, a uh, big game, uh, not for the Sycamores, but surprisingly for the Salukis. We're finally in uh, some meaningful games in November, first time in a couple years. If they win the next three games, could could finish 7-5, and five, could get in uh, to the playoffs for the first time since 2009, but SIU hasn't won in five games in a row in a really long time. So should I be worried, or should everybody be worried that they're going to they're gonna, not play as well in these next three games and not get the wins they should. Well, you know, it, it's interesting. Uh, right now, they're in a they're in a stretch of games that not only can they win, they probably should win. And that, you know, there's a little bit of difference. There's one thing about upsetting a team, another thing about playing you know at, at your same level, but then but then coming out and performing against teams that you're probably better than. So um, uh, it's just a little bit different mindset and. You know, you you wouldn't think a team that's been down like they have would uh, fall into any trap games, but uh, you know, nothing's going to be easy. I mean, you know, uh, you're still going to have to come out and play good football. The defense is going to – the last two games, the defense have, has made statements with against uh, Youngstown State. They got to the quarterback, and uh, last week at South Dakota, they created turnovers. So uh, – you know the the defense has got to come and show up, and the offense is. Uh, I, I really like the way the the offense is is kind of um, molded itself. They've got uh, numerous uh, numerous uh, weapons on the ground, and they've got some uh, that dusted off some big big play capabilities with receivers. So, you know, yeah, right now it's up to the up to Nick Hill and staff to keep it rolling. One thing I really liked just by following the game last <clears> week <throat> was that. They came out early and they made their point. I mean, what was it, twenty-seven to seven, thirty-four seven at the half? I want to say seven at the half. That's a sign of a team that is ready to go. You know, after a big win the week before, you might think <clears> for a program that hasn't done a lot of winning the last few years, you get a win, you get a little bit satisfied. You don't come out maybe as hard the next game because you've had that win. They came out obviously as hard as they played the week before, if not harder. 
34-7 kind of says that right there. And like you said, this is a time now where they have a chance to put a streak together playing three teams <clears throat> that on paper they should beat. You go in 7-4 and four with that final game against North Dakota State and give yourself one shot to maybe get somewhere. Well, you Who know, knows? And, and making that statement on the road is another thing, too. <laughs> That's right. So, you know, that... that, that um, I was whatever I was doing on Saturday. I, di- I didn't get, I, I wasn't able to follow the game closely until about halftime. And when I saw your tweet that they were up thirty-four-seven, I'm like, whoa, we're onto something here. Maybe so, we'll yeah, see. Yeah, I was really impressed. They uh, the last couple seconds, they uh, they kicked a thirty-three-yard field goal. Uh, South Dakota jumped off sides. Uh, there's thirteen seconds to go. They have a couple timeouts, but you know you never want to take points off the board. And uh, you don't want to give the other team a chance to take momentum. SIU was going to get the ball coming out. Uh, they did take the points off the board, took the five yards, took the first down. Um, one play, uh, touchdown pass uh, from Cray Lyles to a wide open Avante Cox. Uh, and they get seven instead of three. They go up 34 to seven. Um, that, that showed me he has a lot of confidence in Cray, number one, and and. I thought that was a good gamble to make. And he said after the game, you know, yeah, we talked about that a long time because Griffin had just missed an extra point. You know, he missed it, didn't miss it by much, but he just missed an extra point. And they could still kick it after that. But we're here to win. We're here to win on the road, and and let's make a statement here. So always gutsy taking points off the board. But um, they're still in field goal range, still had another opportunity to do it. Uh, There's, you know, 13 seconds on the clock. It doesn't seem like much, but when you're throwing a quick pass in the end zone, that's, that's time. You get time for two or three plays right. in that spot, and the game wasn't close at the time. Right. It was like twenty-three to seven, twenty-six to seven. But, but still, still, you, yeah, that, I, that I thought put, that was an interesting gamble. That's one. That's one more step. One more step to uh, you know to to make it harder to come back. That extra four points means if, you know you're negating another field goal there. So it's it's, it's a it's a it was a good gamble. Uh, Slukies were pretty rusty in the first half. They trailed 18 to 17 in basketball. Were able to kind of pull away early in the second half. Uh, Barrett Benson had his only two baskets right to start the second half. Um, I was a little, I was a little disappointed. He didn't finish a little bit better. I was disappointed that Harwin Francois didn't take a ton of shots. But I, I was impressed with their defense. I think they will be a good defensive team all year. Defensively, I, I I just tried to watch everybody individually because there's so many new people on the floor, and you know the the footwork was excellent. Um, they, they kept in front of their man when someone did get beat. The rotations were quick, crisp, and the uh, the switches were were made before anybody could get uh, could get wide open underneath the basket. I remember maybe two uh, two buckets that SIU gave up that were what what you consider kind of gimmies, easy buckets. Mm-hmm. So uh, you know the, the defense the defense was really sound. And uh, the the other thing I came away with was uh, Damask is a really, a really nice looking polished freshman. He's not he's not the he, he kind of reminds me of a little bit more aggressive Matt Shaw. I mean Matt Matt wasn't uh, wasn't going to be flashy, but he was going to make the plays he needed to make. He was going to he was going to you know do some pump fakes and get get a get a, a route to the basket. And that's kind of what Damask. Kind of what Damask did. He didn't overwhelm. He didn't overwhelm anyone with his athleticism, but just his knowledge of the game and just the way he approached it. Yeah, I think we were talking about this last week, and we mentioned how good the defense was. The offense obviously is going to have a way to go, and we're not going to be able to see 
just what they can do offensively for a while yet just because it's going to take them some games to grow into what they are to figure out what they can be individually and collectively. So they're going to have to win these early season games with defense. There's no question about that. And I think the schedule maker gives them a chance to get something done early because they're playing teams that they'll be at least able to be in the game with if not beat. So and let's let's you know the best thing they could do is win two or three of these games right off the bat, have some success in Florida, and then be able to build on that before you get into the valley. Yeah, just yeah, just get a, uh, there, There's always that fine line of you know do you do you, do you load the uh, do you load the schedule with the uh, big name teams or do you do you load the schedule with people that you can be competitive with and build confidence? You know, and it, it, and it's a damned if you do, damned if you don't situation because when. When when the when Barry was still here, you know you heard that. Well, even if they win 21, 22 games, they're not going to get in because the competition was bad. But then they then they front front uh, front loaded the schedule with Kentuckys and Louisvilles and people like that. And you know, well, what are you doing playing people like that? So you it's kind of one of those where you kind of thread the needle and and hope you find the best of both worlds. <coughs> yeah, I've always thought it. <coughs> excuse me, it's an important part. Uh, of the season, because if you've got a veteran team, you you, you want to challenge them. But if you've got a veteran team, but you've got ten or eleven newcomers like Brian does, you know you and he put together a pretty a fair schedule. I think he he had no choice of taking that tournament, but that tournament's actually going to be good for him because he's playing pretty veteran teams uh, for the most part when he goes to Florida. But none of them have been picked to win their league. There uh, they'll be. I, I think he'll be able to hang with all three of them. I think there'll be difficult games to win. He could go three and zero. He could go zero and three. He could go two and one, or, or he could go one and two. That covers all the possibilities. Well. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> but but I think it'll be a great challenge for them because they have some teams. Two on my yeah. Yes, yes. <laughs> some teams uh, that have some great guards, uh, and then also Oakland has some really good bigs, some experienced bigs. So I think they'll learn a lot about themselves those first four games, including the the official opener against uh, Illinois Westland because. They haven't shot it well from the three-point line, but I, I I was told that they shot a little bit better against Miami of Ohio in the uh, in the close scrimmage. So uh, hopefully they can uh, they can put it together. The one the one concern that I came away from the uh, exhibition game was they they just didn't appear to be real physical on the boards. Mm. Uh, uh, yeah, I would agree with that. Uh, uh, Eric McGill and and Aaron Cook looked like the two most physical rebounders they had. And granted, it's the you know we're, we've. We've lo- we've watched uh, forty minutes of basketball, so that that, that could all change. For, first look at the women's basketball team on Friday night. They they return five starters, uh, have a couple of good newcomers, um, two posts particularly. I think will be a big impact for them. Gabby Walker and and Awakita, um, who was the first uh, international student uh, at SIU outside of North America. So that's a fun fact for, for the women's team. For the women's team, yes. Uh, and then uh, Game 7 of the World Series tonight, uh, Nationals and Astros. Uh, seven out of the last eight teams that have forced a Game 7 on the road have lost. The only team to win was, of course, the Chicago Cubs 2016. But uh, this is also the first matchup. <coughs> gratuitous. In it. Pretty gratuitous. Uh, Burke is on patent himself. Yeah, yeah I know. Uh, it's kind of gratuitous. Yeah. 
This is also the first matchup between two Cy Young Award winners in Game 7 of the World Series. Uh, who you got? Who, who you got? They're almost as old as Cy Young, too. If Cy Young was still alive today, I mean, we're, we're going with Mac, Max Scherzer and Zach Greinke in the, in the, in the final game. Um, I, I think I like Nats are going to win. I think the Nationals are going to take it. I, you know what? It's calling one baseball game is, is is a roll of the dice. Yes, uh, it is. <laughs> uh, Scherzer's been Scherzer's been kind of banged up. He's had some issues with his uh, with his neck and shoulder, I guess. But he was thrown in the bullpen last night. Looked pretty loose. Um, uh, yeah, if uh, if that same uh, Rendon Rendon shows up tonight, you got to look. You got to like the the Nationals, but. Uh, um, I, I'm gonna. I, I am going to say I want the Nationals to win just because of all the the uh, BS surrounding the Astros and, and all that. So my, we'll, we'll let it go with that. My take on tonight is the Astros will be in the bullpen earlier than the Nationals in all likelihood. None of Granke's postseason starts, if I'm not mistaken, have lasted past the fifth inning. You know he's not given up runs, but there's been a lot of traffic on the bases in his game. So I don't think AJ Hinch is going to have a real long leash with him. Scherzer, on the other hand, I think even with missing Game Five, the neck problem, I think he's he's out there as long as he's effective. And the fact that Strasburg went eight and a third last night means the Nationals have a fresh pitching staff. Basically, you're going to see everybody except probably Strasburg. If he came in, Scott Boris would throw a fit. This is his walk here anyway. Um, the other thing I was going to get to real quick. I don't know if anyone saw the kerfuffle from Game 6 last night with the interference call that led to Dave Martinez's ejection after the top of the 7th. By the letter of the law, it was the right call. By the spirit of the play, which was basically Trey Turner had touched first, in my opinion, before the ball got there, I'm not sure it was the right call. I think it was one that could have been a no harm, no foul, to be honest with you. I understand why they called it, but I didn't like that they called it. The, the the replay was was crystal clear. He was inside. He was inside the line, and um, I, I just I just think if you you know if the rule is there, it has to be enforced no matter what the situation. And if, if that's what the rule says, uh, and I, I understand what you're saying about maybe it's not the intent. Well, then the rule needs to be rewritten. But as that, I wouldn't disagree. And, I, and I'll tell you what, Kyle Schwarber, the Cubs, put it out there on Twitter this morning. Put the orange safety base in that they use in softball, so that that way you can have a reason to have the running lane. Right. That I, I, that that makes sense. At, at the risk of agreeing with the Cub and <laughs> by, by extension Todd Hefferman, who by the way, happy birthday to him. He was oh, he was forty five right. yesterday. Yeah. So. Thank you, thank you very much. <laughs> we should have had a cake. I, I know. Here or yeah, at least uh, uh, party favors and streamers and stuff, mm-hmm. but. Uh, no, it, it was it was an interesting play. I, I was really kind of disappointed in the uh, network commentary last night. I, I thought Joe Buck and and um, John Smoltz were either uh, just saying things just to just to create a little uh, discussion that really wasn't there. But but according to the the rule of the law the the law up oh, my God. The rule, as I understand it, he was certainly inside the line. Yeah, the the letter of the law says you cannot run. <clears throat> In fair territory, essentially, which makes it a badly written rule because the base is in fair territory. Right. So that's why that's why I would not have had a problem if they had just let that go. But I understand, again, I understand why they called it. You can't suspend the rules for right. the World Series. Yeah, especially I get that. especially um, um, when the game is online. I think that's when the rules are more important than any than ever. So. Yeah. 
Well, week one of uh, the, I should say, playoffs uh, are here. We have a couple of teams on the road, a couple of teams at home. Which team that has eight wins or more do you think is not going to win this weekend? DuCoin is hosting Monticello. Fairfield's probably going to beat Alton Marquette. Uh, Nashville, Villa Grove Heritage. Um, what was what was Carbondale and Benton? They eight and uh, one. They're both eight and one. Marion's eight and one. Um, I, I think the toughest draw was Ducoin. I don't think I don't think there's any question about that. Ducoin got the defending state champion last year. They, Monticello plays in an extremely good extremely good conference. I, I would think that uh, I would think that of all the eight and one teams, um, I, you know, to t- take a word take a word from. Uh, Dancing with the Stars, they're in jeopardy, you know. So, uh, so, so I, I, I think that's I think that's the game that I'll be watching the the, the closest. Um, that's the game I'll be watching the closest because I'll be there. <laughs> you know, among other things to note on that game too, um, I don't know the status of DeCoin's Ethan Zettler. He left at halftime last week. Looked like he had an ankle injury or something, and. Derek Beard made the right call, put him in bubble wrap for the second half because his presence wasn't going to mean a whole lot about winning or losing against Murfreesboro last week. So he rested him. Hopefully he'll be ready to go this Saturday. DeCorn will need everybody they can get to beat Monticello. Monticello has given up almost 24 points a game. DeCorn can score, as we know. I think DeCorn's best chance is to have one of those games offensively where they win time of possession, they're able to convert those long drives into points, and their defense comes up with a turnover or two along the way. It can be done. Playing at Van Meter Field will help. But as you point out, Les, Monticello comes from a really good conference, and although they lost three games this year, there is, you know, one saying coaches are fond of uttering, and that is tradition never dies. And Monticello certainly with an outstanding tradition. That'll be a tough out for DeCoin. I think the other 8 and 1s in our coverage area, or in Fairfield's case, a 9 0, have a good chance of moving on. And I think Murfreesboro, even though it is on the road playing at Civic Memorial, I think Murfreesboro has a good chance of winning this week. You know, Murfreesboro is just such an intriguing team because they have so many weapons. Uh, they can run outside, they can run inside, they can throw the ball. Uh, we were talking about McZeke is just uh, the Jamar McZeke, the quarterback, is just kind of a magician back there with the uh, with the football. It's it's almost like watching uh, it's almost like watching uh, I can't I can't think of a magician off the top of my head Houdini. right now. Yeah, but you you don't know who's got the ball. All of a sudden, you're thinking you're thinking McNitt or uh, or Kirkwood are running up the middle, and you look around and there's Desmond Clark or Hoppenstead zipping <laughs> down the sideline. It's um, and if you you stop them inside, they'll go somewhere else because they they got. They'll they'll try somebody else. They'll just keep going until they find until uh, they uh, exploit a weakness. Their top six or seven rushers are averaging at least <clears> seven <throat> yards a carry. Clark's averaging somewhere around twelve yards a carry. I mean, this is a hard team to stop. The offensive line has cohered so well since the opening loss to Carbondale. The defense hits hard. They play fast. And the thing I noticed about the game at DeCoin Friday. DeCoin was able to hang with them most of the game, but at a certain point, around the end of the third quarter, a couple of us in the press box noted they were huffing and puffing. They were getting tired. It is hard to follow those whippets around from Murfreesboro. It's hard to keep up with their speed, their physicality. They're just a, they're just at a different level than most teams right now. No shame for the coin <laughs> lost to that team. None at all. Yeah, I don't I don't think that I don't think that uh, Murfreesboro has the sheer speed as a Dasani Edward. Or Ethan Zettler, but they have got like seven or eight guys that are right there. Yeah, they have more quickness on that team than you could argue more quickness than maybe even Carbondale right now, which is saying something because Carbondale has so many guys that are capable of breaking big plays. Well, we'll see what uh, goes down on Saturday. Uh, 
check the southern.com and the southern Illinois print editions uh, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday for your, your best uh, playoff coverage. Sluky basketball preview will be in tomorrow's paper. Um, to subscribe to the southern, go to southern.com or call 618 529 5454. Thanks for joining us.